The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. All right, well let me um, introduce myself. (laughs) My name is Martha Peace and I live near Atlanta. Can you hear me? Is it loud enough? Does it need to be turned up? Anyway, I'm a Southern girl, and I live near Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I have followed this ministry for several years. I've spoken here, I don't know, maybe two or three times in the past, and uh, when Jim Neuheiser asked me to come this year, I said I would be glad to. So when uh, he when he told me what it was all about this year, I said, "Well, I would like to do a workshop on helping wives whose husbands struggle with pornography, and then if you want me to do two workshops, I will do one on helping women who struggle with pornography." So he said that would fit, you know, right in with what we're doing. Now, several years ago, I received a phone call from a young wife and mother of four small children. I did not know her. I don't even know how she got my phone number, but she did. And she called me and she said, my husband is an airline pilot and I don't uh, know what to do. He is in bondage to pornography, prostitutes. Um, This is a huge problem. And um, I don't want a divorce, but I don't know what to do. And I said, well, do you and your husband go to church? And she said, yes, he teaches the adult Sunday school class. And I'm thinking, of course he does. (laughs) And, And I said, well, does he say he's a Christian? And she said, oh, yes, he's a Bible college graduate. And I said, well, what happens when you try to talk to him about his sin. And she said he becomes angry and verbally abusive, and then I just simply get quiet. Well, I explained to her about church discipline. She didn't know about that, Matthew 18, 15 through 18. And I said, have you read my book, The Excellent Wife? And she said, no. And I said, well, get the book and read it. But let me tell you, in the meantime, this is what you need to do. And so uh, she thanked me, and we hung up, and I never talked to her again. I didn't know what happened. Well, fast forward a few years, and then uh, my publisher called me and said, there's an airline pilot who has a website and he's ministering to men who are in bondage to pornography and to the wives. And uh, his ministry is called Setting Captives Free. And then the wife's part of this is called United Front. I really like that title uh, for the women. And she said he's giving away excellent white books on his website. I said, really? (laughs) 
And she said, yeah, if anybody wants one, he'll get, they'll give it to him. So she was greatly discounting them and asked me to forego my royalties on those books. And that's why she was calling me. And I said, of course. Well, eventually he quit giving them away because even with that, it was getting a little expensive. But um, again, fast forward a few years and uh, Focus Publishing published, he, he developed material to help men and um, then they ended up publishing his workbook called Setting Captives Free. And um, I had an opportunity to email him about some things and um, it just seemed like I should know him because his name his has I've come across it I've used his material and I said do I know you and he said no we've never met but um, my wife Jody called you several years ago and I was into pornography and prostitutes and she didn't know what to do and you told her about church discipline and to start the process. I said, well, what happened? He said, they disciplined me. And I was furious and I was angry. And then the Lord saved me. And I said, well, praise God. You never know when you give. Just, I mean, I, I bet I didn't have a 20-minute conversation with her. I didn't know her. And I had no clue as to what she would do when she hung up. But you never know when you give biblical advice to somebody if they are going to act on it or not. And then uh, um, God has used that and used him and them in amazing ways. So the wife can glorify the husband whether the hus- whether God grants the husband repentance or not. And she can show love to her husband, whether her husband is perceiving it that way or not. I'm just going to put these on the floor. Don't worry about it. I don't have room for this, for the papers. All right, this is what I want to do for this workshop. I want to tell you how to give hope and direction to the wife. I want to walk you through some of the biblical resources that God has given to protect a wife whose husband is sinning against uh, God and her in this way. I've made a comparison chart. I love to do charts. And I compared fearful, prideful thoughts the wife may have to God-honoring biblical thoughts that she should have. And then I want uh, to give you some further resources that would help the wife. And then I want to warn you about some of the resources that are out there. Now, giving hope, this is the first thing she needs because you can't hear me. 
Okay, she will be devastated by this if she doesn't know. She may know, well, I know he struggled with this, and he would do better, and then it would happen again. Um, But some women are just totally blindsided with this, had no idea that their husbands were so deep into this pornography and how it had affected him and their life. Now, she's going to struggle at many levels. She's going to be embarrassed. If the husband has committed adultery, she may be considering divorce. She may be fearful over what's going to happen in the future. She's not going to trust him. The husband may have difficulty responding to her intimacy needs because the no real wife can live up to the hype of the pornography and sometimes physically, sexually, they cannot perform very well. The husband may try to require of her perverted, painful, intimate acts from her, such as anal sex, and that is sinful. Uh, she, he shouldn't be asking for that, and she should certainly not uh, agree to that. She's very likely to be bitter and angry. As I said, she doesn't trust him. He may have introduced her to pornography, and that's very common. That happens, and now she struggles herself with it. And the husband may be manipulating her to stay quiet about his problem. So some of the statements that I might use to give a wife hope in this, I might start out by saying, I am so sorry that you are going through this. But I would tell her, no matter what your husband ultimately does, you can show love to him and love to God in the process. You don't have to be a failure before God, even if he remains a failure. You can be faithful to God, whether your husband repents or not. It would not matter who your husband was married to. This is his sin in his heart. I know it's difficult not to take it personally because the wives do, of course. But your focus needs to be on God by showing love to God, by obeying him, and love to your husband by speaking the truth in love. And I tell her, I'm I'm committed to praying for you and helping you go through this. This is not going to be easy but God will help you, and I will help you. Now, I wrote out several statements that are, uh, what I did was I took scripture and kind of wrote it out like God was directly speaking to her. And these things, most of these are promises from God, such as Hebrews 13.5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, God says, I am faithful. 
I will never give you more than you can bear. I will give you a way of escape and meanwhile give you grace to bear up under it. And her way of escape may be that God grants the husband repentance. And it may be that he leaves her. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that God can grant her her way of escape. And you don't know when that's going to happen, but the promise she can cling to. Uh, Number three, God says, uh, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That young wife that had all those little kids... Her husband was manipulating her. He was mean to her. He was threatening her. And she was being persecuted for righteousness' sake. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In James 1, it says we can ask for wisdom. So you you could turn that around and say it is as if God is saying, if you ask me, I will give you wisdom. And then in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, come, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then in John 14, 1, Jesus there is talking to the disciples because they were afraid when he said he was going to be killed. But this can comfort us too. It says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Romans 8, 28, it says, if God is saying, I will supernaturally work this situation for your good, to make you more like Christ and for my glory. Romans 21 is a command and it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So she's going to have to fight back in, in a good way. And then number nine, based on Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, says, walk as a child of light, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. And this is one of the problems that the wives have. A lot of times they know what's going on, but yet for different reasons, maybe the husband threatens them. Maybe um, they're just afraid that he will leave them or what other people might think they cover up for him. It's, I, I tell them, it's like driving the getaway car. When, when you know this is happening and you do nothing, it's like a bank robbery, and, but you're not in there robbing the bank, but you're going to help the robber to get away. And um, as far as the courts are concerned, you're just as guilty there. I mean, that, of course, in God's eyes, you're not just as guilty. But she needs to come forward and speak the truth in love. And then uh, number 10, 
let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, malice is wishing ill will. Think of it as meanness. Um, instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then number 11, for, and Peter says in 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Now, in 1 Peter, Peter is writing to them who are undergoing persecution. It's going to get much worse. Nero is going to become emperor of Rome. And he reminds them throughout the letter of look back to the cross and what Christ has done for you, but look forward to the future glory that awaits. You're in this right now and in this trial, and God is testing your faith, but you have the cross behind you and the uh, the heaven in front of you. But he says, God has, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and then to the inheritance in the future that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. When you think about what the glory that awaits, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, this I, I just this is important, and the, if you're counseling somebody, this is important for you to point this out to them. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, you see, they're going through this trial, but God is testing their faith and to see if it's genuine. More precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. First Peter 1, 3 through 8. And anybody in any trial, uh, this is a, a good section there to help them get a perspective on what, how, what God is doing in their hearts and in their lives. And then number 12, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And of course, that's First Peter 3, verse 3 and 4. Now, this gentle and quiet spirit, two things here. They accept God's dealings with them as good. And the, se- the second thing is they are not given to anger or fear. And then in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Peter says, Humble yourselves 
therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So those are just a few scriptures that you can use to give a wife hope in a situation like that to help them set their mind on the things above not on the things that are on the earth. They're not, tell them, you are not going through this in vain. God has a high and holy purpose behind this. He is testing your faith. He is giving you great opportunity to show love to God and love to your husband. And um, the Lord will help you. And he is not going to let you be pressured beyond what you're able to bear. And just the fact that you can give a a few hope verses and encourage them, and you come up with a biblical plan of action that you share with them over the next few weeks. This is where we're going to go with this. I will teach you. I'll walk you through this. Uh, That will give them great hope and great relief. And then Roman numeral number three are the biblical resources that God has given to protect a wife whose husband is sinning. Now, I copied this from the book, my book, The Excellent Wife, and that's chapter 14. And I don't, we won't have time to go through all of that but some of you may already be familiar with that book or that chapter. But if you're not, uh, you can read this in great detail in the book. I think it's the longest chapter in the book. It's the reason I wrote the book. It's the whole reason I wrote the Excellent Life book, is to help women who are in difficult situations and they didn't don't know what to do. But uh, I do want to, I'll just read the resource, but there's a couple of them I do want to talk about. The first one is to communicate biblically. The second one is to overcome evil with good, fighting back with very practical things. Uh, The third one is making a biblical appeal. The fourth one is giving a biblical reproof. Now, I do want to talk about that one. In Galatians 6 and verse 1, a biblical reproof is telling someone that what they are doing is wrong. It's contrary to God's word. And um, in Galatians 6, 1, Paul tells us how to do that. And it's very practical. Jesus tells us how to do it in Matthew 18, verse 15. He says, if your brother sins, you go to him privately. And then, of course, if he repents, you've won your brother. It's the end of the matter. But in Galatians 6, 1, Paul gives a little more detail. And he says, brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, That's another word for sin. You who are spiritual, meaning you who are born again, restore. See, this is your motive. 
restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So when we do the reproof, we're to be gentle in our tone, kind in our words, but clear, very clear uh, about what we're talking about. But your heart's motive is to help your husband to restore him to a right relationship with God, with you, with others. And uh, it says, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Um, And it says, bear one another's burdens and thus thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The, The context of bearing one another's burdens is helping each other with their sin and helping each other become as much like the Lord Jesus Christ as possible. Now, some people will write and say, a wife is never to reprove her husband. And how they uh, come up with that is in 1 Peter 3, uh, verse 1 and 2. And I want you to look at that because... I don't want you to be confused by that. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says, In the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them, any husbands, are disobedient to the word, they may be one W-O-N, one, without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So some people will just take that verse, those verses, and say, okay, the wife is to never say a word to her husband no matter what he does. But if you look in uh, chapter 2 in First Peter... Um, he defines who he's talking about that are disobedient to the word. And then it's just a few sentences later that he gives this instruction to the wives. So in 1 Peter 2, he says, um, he's talking about the cornerstone. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And then in verse 7, it says, This precious value, then, is for those who believe. But for those who disbelieve, those who are unbelievers, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Unbelievers are offended. By the Lord Jesus Christ, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. So he's defining an unbeliever as one who is disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. So there's no wiggle room to say, well, Peter's talking about a believer there. They stumble, they're offended by Christ, and they this to this doom they were appointed. Well, then, over in chapter 3, he's saying, 
you wives be submissive to your own husbands, but if some of them are unbelievers, uh, disobedient to the word, you evangelize them, you win them to Christ without a word by the behavior, by your behavior, your chaste and respectful behavior. So the wife is not to be like one woman I counseled a long time ago, she got saved, her husband didn't, she was determined he was going to get saved, he would go to bed, not be asleep yet, she would go around on his side of the bed, get down on her knees and out loud pray for his salvation. (laughs) I mean, he hated her. And uh, she had she put up Christian plaques and sayings all over the house, and I, I said you have to take them all down. She got tears in her eyes. I love my plaques. I said, I know you love them, but your husband hates them, and you need to stop being in his face and using throwing up scripture to him. And um, I don't know if she ever stopped, but he divorced her. And he may have done that anyway. I don't know. But she certainly was being disobedient to the Lord. So if, if somebody is saying the wife can never reprove her husband and they're using this verse, I want you to know that that's not what Peter is talking about. This is not about reproof. This is about winning him to Christ. Um, Husbands and wives are brothers and sisters in the Lord if they're Christians. And And even if he's not a Christian, she can appeal to his conscience to do what's right. She's still a helper suitable to him. And whether he wants the help or not, it's not right if he's looking at pornography. It's not right if he's screaming and cussing at the children, kicking the dog, whatever is happening there. So, but if he's a Christian or says he's a Christian, then you use scripture in the reproof. So it, it, some people say, well, the, she's got to love him unconditionally, meaning, no matter what he does. Well, you know what? And they say God loves us unconditionally. <clears throat> now think about that. There is one big, huge condition, and that is the cross. And um, this, we, we <clears throat> don't just, you, you're going to live in a non-reality pretend world if you just pretend like these things aren't happening. So... Um, Reproofs are to be done gently, and I just mainly think of that as tone of voice. And I have wives sometimes, a lot of times I'll say, I want you to write out, or I'll help you write out what you want to say in the reproof, and I want you to practice it out loud Teaching the heart of the wise teaches his mouth how to speak. It says in Proverbs. So you do that, and then uh, if if you do that and you prepare yourself, that when you talk to your husband, you are more than likely to be able to 
um, say what you want to say and do it in a gentle tone. If he disagrees with you, then give him some specific examples. And you can ask him to prayerfully consider what you said. It, it, if he says he is a Christian, use the word prayerfully. If he's an unbeliever, don't be surprised if he scoffs at you. Uh, in Romans 8, 7, it says their mind is not subject to God's law. And if he scoffs, he's acting as a fool would act. And you, you want to answer, you don't want to answer a fool like a fool. I'll talk about that in a minute. If he does not graciously receive the reproof, God will give her and tell her, God will give you the grace to bear up under that at that time. And your love for God, your love for your husband will help you to overcome your fear of what might happen. And sometimes when wives do talk to their husbands and speak the truth in love and reprove them, and sometimes it does, a lot of times it doesn't go well, but then sometimes he thinks about it and comes back later. So you, you really don't know how God is going to react. And tell her this and prepare her for his reaction. He may, God may just completely grant him repentance. And he may be sorrowful and genuine godly sorrow and do whatever it takes to, for accountability to hold him, to help him. He may, God may harden his heart and he may get verbally abusive. And if he becomes physically abusive, I say, call the police. It's illegal. Call 911 and get some help there. But regardless, that's not her responsibility. Her responsibility is to do what the Lord has told her that her part is there. Um, And then resource number five is responding biblically to foolish demands. It says, uh, do not answer a fool because if he becomes angry, if he becomes manipulative, if he becomes hurt, if he starts threatening her, uh, whatever, uh, he's acting like a fool. So you need to define that or understand what that means um, and explain it to her and teach it to her before she actually gives him the reproof and proceeds with this. Uh, A foolish man or woman is one who rejects God's word and does what is right in his own eyes. Now, a husband is responding like a biblical fool when he's harsh, when he's unreasonable, makes unreasonable demands, he's intimidating her, manipulating her, hostile teasing, threatening. So, and he may say, oh yeah, you're so perfect, and then start on a tirade about, well, if you kept the house, I wouldn't do this. If you had sex with me like I want, you know, I wouldn't have to do this, whatever. Um, And 
it's very common for a wife to start defending herself. You, when somebody accuses you of something, you don't love me. And then she starts telling him how much she loves him. And, and, you know, and what happens is the issue at hand, his, he's got to stop looking at pornography, um, just gets put aside, and then all of a sudden she's in trouble. So if she defends herself or she starts arguing back with him, or yelling back at him or, you know, becoming angry or it hurts her feelings and she's crying and she's, you know, devastated kind of thing, she is also acting like a fool. And then you have two fools talking to each other. And then it's just lovely. So it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. So she wants, she wants to give him an answer, but um, number, point number five under this is, is give the fool the answer he deserves, lest he be wise in his own eyes. In other words, give him an answer that will convict him of his responsibility. So he starts in on her. If you were the wife, you should be. I wouldn't have this problem. If you, um, a wife, uh, one wife, her husband said, if you tell anybody about this, I will leave you. Uh, you won't have any money. I will take the children away from you. I will tell them how dirty your laundry room is or you know, whatever. I mean, they can make all kinds of threats. And then that scares the wife. And she thinks, well, maybe he can do this. Uh, and, but the chances are great that he's legally not going to be able to do it if he even tries. So instead of defending herself, she needs to calmly say something like this. Sweetheart, the issue is... Or your responsibility is to repent. If, if he says he's a Christian, use the word repent. Stop looking at pornography. Have a, get accountability and instead give God glory. So it's very hard for a wife to calmly keep going back to the issue because of the emotions that and and so I tell her if you begin to have an emotional reaction and you get scared or you don't know what to do then what I want you to do is say this I need to think about what I want to say and I'll get back with you and then turn around and walk away don't just turn around and walk away say, I will answer you, uh, but I need to think about what I'm going to say. Go somewhere, write down the conversation. I said, he said, I said, he said. Figure out where you went wrong or what you should have said or what you should say. Write it out 
And then I, I tell counselors, if you're still confused, call me, text me. You know, we have text now. They can get, they can get in touch with me anywhere in the world. And um, then I can help you. You know, I can kind of coach you through this. And then go back and say, all right, I prayed about it. I thought about it. I said blah, blah, blah. And then you said this. This is what I want to say. Because it's easy for me to teach a wife this, but it is very hard to do in the heat of the battle. Now, in the Excellent Wife book, in the uh, 10th anniversary edition, there's 30 additional pages in the back that was not there in the original one. And several of those pages are examples of not answering a fool according to his folly. Also in the Damsels in Distress book, there's a whole chapter on manipulation, whether it's the husband or anybody else uh, manipulating you uh, unbiblically. So, all right. And then the next resource is Seeking Godly Counsel. And then the last... The next two are is church discipline. Go to him privately. If he repents, you've won your brother. If he doesn't, you take two or more witnesses with you. If he doesn't repent, you tell it to the church. You go to the pastors and go, go to the elders and um, tell them what has happened. And I went to him privately. Then I took other witnesses. He is not repentant. Uh, they will investigate this, and if he's not repentant, they will announce it to the church family to pray for him, to talk to him, to send him cards, to write to him, whatever, and uh, exhort him to repent. Now, a lot of times this doesn't work well. I mean, the person will never go back to that church again, you know, that kind of thing. But we don't know. We don't know how God is going to work. We have a recent case in our church family of a, a husband who was in, in terrible pornography, terrible adultery, even homosexuality. And um, this happened, it came out a few years ago. And the wife almost left him then, but he seemed to have a turnaround, and everybody thought it was genuine. But this time, um, the elders went almost straight to the third step in church discipline, and um, they separated. The husband and wife separated, and um, to make a long story short, I do... and. Uh, Everybody believes that he genuinely has had a conversion this time. And now they are back together again. Don't know. You cannot guarantee that that is going to happen. And then uh, the last resource is involving the governing authorities. If he's doing something illegal, such as child pornography. And uh, that is definitely... Uh, something the police need to know about. Okay, now uh, Christian wives 
should take full advantage of all the biblical measures God has provided them in his word. And to do otherwise is foolish and shows the wife's unwillingness to obey or obey God or her ignorance of God's word. A lot of times it's ignorance. And I've had, I I can't tell you how many wives I have said, I've been in church all my life. Why has nobody told me this? Well, I don't know. I want to say, well, if you come to my church, you're going to hear it. But uh, a lot of churches won't do church discipline. Now, Jay Adams says if a church won't do that, they're not really functioning as a church. But if a wife is in a church and their church won't do this, this is what I tell her. You need to take it as far as the Lord allows you. You can confront him privately. You can take other witnesses. You can go to the pastors uh, for help. And if they won't obey the Lord and do their part, that's as far as you can take it. So um, you need to have some kind of answer for them. Uh, the more she obeys, the more she's protected by God, not a guarantee that there'll be a good outcome. But uh, it surprises me how many times there is a good outcome because this, God uh, is working in this. And this is doing things God's way uh, and obeying his word. The better she can biblically and respectfully submit to her husband and the more likely he is to repent. If he does not repent and she is being godly and her motive is trying to help her husband, trying to restore him, then she will, if he doesn't repent, she will be suffering for righteousness sake. She'll be suffering for Jesus sake. And she will receive extra rewards in heaven. Now, I made a chart because women are scared and it's understandable. Uh, you're rocking the boat. And I compared fear, what I called fearful slash proud thoughts to, and that's a self-focused thought, what's going to happen to me, um, to God-focused thoughts, God-honoring biblical thoughts. For example, what if he leaves me? Well, uh, that's a very scary thought. If he leaves me, it will be very hard. That's reality. But God will give me the grace to bear up under it. See, when you bring God into the same thought in a right way, then it's very comforting. Somehow, some way, I don't know how, but the Lord is going to, he will, he promises to help me and he will work this out. A, a wrong thought, he will never change. Well, the right thought would be God can certainly change him. Um, God can grant him repentance and faith. I will pray for my husband's repentance. Second Timothy 2, verse 24 through 26. And I don't have, I won't, I don't, 
Well, let me look at this one. I don't have time to read all these verses, but you, the one reason I gave you a detailed handout is I want you to have this resource to use. Second Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And this specifically is written to elders, to pastors, the Lord's bondservant. That's what he's talking about here in this context. But he said, the Lord's bondservant, but we can learn from this. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Okay, the wife is going to be wronged with this husband who's looking at pornography. With gentleness, again, there's that word, correcting those who are in opposition, if... Perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And if they may come, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. This is serious stuff. And when, when a husband is in sin, whether it's pornography or anything else, and he will not turn from that, then uh, his soul literally may be at stake. And she she at least should care about that and uh, love him enough to do the right thing, but to do it gently because he is shaking his fist at God and a, a gentle answer, a soft answer, turns away wrath. And, I, and that usually does work. And I have a theory about that. It's because the other person can't hear you. And so they get a little more quiet because they're trying to strain to hear what you're saying. But God can change people. He had changed her if he saved her. And she may have been a goody-two-shoes kind of person, never done anything really bad in her whole life. People like that irritate me. But they, but she was a, would be a self-righteous kind of person. And it's only God's mercy and grace to her that she didn't get into something worse than her husband is in. A wrong thought, I cannot take it anymore. Instead, think, and, and you know, <clears throat> I get in the trenches with people, and I suggest biblical God-honoring thoughts to them. I teach them how to think biblically and how to take their thoughts captive and how to renew their mind. Um, Here's an example. It feels like I cannot take it anymore, but that's not true. God will not allow me to be tempted beyond what I can bear. Uh, He does not love me. Well, instead thinking perhaps he does not love me as he should, but he can learn to love me as Christ loved the church. Meanwhile, I can show love to him whether he returns that love or not. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40. I hate him for what he has done to me and our family. Well, instead of that, think I have sorrow 
because of God's reputation. See the difference, the different focus? I am reminded that God himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil. God is merciful, and I am to be like God. I remember when I read the Bible for the first time as a new Christian in my 30s, and I got to Luke 6, verse 35 and 36. And it said, God himself is kind to wicked and evil men. And I stopped and I thought about that and I thought, that is amazing. Of course, I was one of those wicked and evil people. And I I thought, I don't think I could be that way if somebody sinned against me like that. And then it says... Therefore, Jesus said, therefore, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. And I just remember stopping and praying and asking God to give me that kind of merciful heart. Uh, I guess I'm not good enough for him. And she should be instead be thinking, actually, God tells me that I am to be a blessing to my husband. By God's grace, I can be the best thing my husband has going for, for him on this earth. And I tell her, tell him, hey, I am the best thing that you have going for you here. Lord, help me to consider my husband as more significant or more important than myself. Philippians 2 verse 3. Or he will, he'll see what it's like when I'm gone. A lot of times they'll say, what goes around comes around. Have you heard that? Instead, Lord, help me to have pity on him and not wish ill will. I know that vengeance is yours. Romans twelve seventeen through 21. And nobody can stay God's hand. How could he do that to me? Well, I should not be surprised at his sin, considering the depth of my own sin. This is his sin. It is difficult to not take it personally, but actually it would not matter who he was married to. And a lot of times I will tell a wife, this, whether it's pornography or some other sin, um, this is his character flaw. This is his habitual sin. It would not matter who he was married to. I will pray for his repentance, she should think. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, here's one. I would never do that to him. Well, instead, I'm perfectly capable of doing something worse. Now, these self-righteous little goody-two-shoes Pharisees' wives don't believe that, but it's true. (laughs) I am perfectly capable of doing something worse. It is only because of God's kindness to me that I don't. It is my pride that makes me be self-righteous. In James 4, verse 6 through 10, says um, it says but God gives a greater grace 
Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, if she reacts in pride, God is going to be opposing her. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Um, Let me see where I am. Why did God allow this? Okay, now... When somebody goes down that path, it's like, why are you doing this to me? It's, it's almost as if they're saying, after all I did for you, God, and then why are you letting this happen to me? Instead, you sh- they should think, God is testing me, and I should not be surprised when a trial comes seemingly out of the blue. Lord, thank you that I'm not going through this trial in vain. You have a high and holy purpose for this to bring the dross in my heart and my life to the surface and to test my faith. James 1, verse 1 through 4. James is saying the same thing Peter did in 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is God testing your faith. It's painful. It's sorrowful. It's hard. But God loves us, and he will use these things to make us more like Christ and to honor and glorify himself. This is more than I can bear. Well, it's going to feel like it sometimes. Um, Lord, I need your grace to help me and your mercy. This is a great time of need for me. Hebrews 4 says you can come boldly to the throne of grace and there find grace to help and mercy in time of need. You want to point her to the Lord. You want her to start bringing God into her thinking in a right way. Who will take care of me if he leaves me? Well, God promises to take care of me. I will look to him and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Somehow, some way, God will help me. Matthew 6. Now, you can't see into the future, and you can't know the details of how God is going to work everything out in her life, but we we can cling, and she can cling, to God's promises, and somehow, some way, he will. <coughs> the wife may say, he disgusts me. Well, he, she should think about it this way. He is my husband, the father of my children. I love him, and with God's help, I will make it as easy as I can for him to repent. Titus 2, verse 4, and Galatians 6, 1. I won't have sex with him. Now, this usually almost always comes up. Instead, I tell her, all right, this is what I want you to tell your husband. I want you to think about it this way. I will ask the elders to require him to have a physical to rule out any sexually transmitted diseases. And in the meantime, she should abstain. 
from having sex with him. Once it is safe, then I will obey the Lord and show love to my husband in this area. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 6. I gave him the best years of my life. I wish I had a dollar for every time I have heard that one. Uh, I will ask the elders to, uh, one minute, Lord, help me to set my mind on you and not myself. Thank you for this test. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful for all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to exhort them. Don't make it about yourself. You want to make it about God and his glory. And then if the church finds out they won't let him lead the music or let him be the pastor or let him be a deacon or let him teach Sunday school, um, instead tell her it's more important that the church remain pure and God's reputation upheld than it is that my husband lead the music. God forbid that I would cover up for his sin and not expose it to the elders who need to know. And I would tell her, give your husband the opportunity to uh, confess himself with the elders. and But then say... I'm going to follow up and ask them what you said to make sure that you told them the whole truth. and uh, Or I'll go with you to, to help you and to be there and stand beside you in, in this. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 and 5, 11 and 12. How could God do this to me after all that I have done for him? Instead, she should be thinking, God knows better than I know how I can best glorify him. He is my potter. I am his clay. His great mercies are new every morning. He is sovereign ruler over my life. Romans 9, 18 through 22 and Lamentations 3, 21 through 25. How in the world could anybody look at pornography? Now, some women are like that. Just because it doesn't tempt me, it is a sin that is common to man. I have other sins, sins that do tempt me. James 1, 13 through 15. My husband seems to be very sorrowful over his pornography uh, and, is make, and is making no provision for the flesh, but he doesn't see any of the other sins that he commits that have nothing to do with pornography. Well, <clears throat> this how for her to think about this, being his helper suitable and his closest neighbor, I would gently reprove him for the other sins. If he does not repent, then I would suggest that we go together to see one of the pastors, one of the elders. Then the elder can tell both of us what we are doing wrong. Let's go together, and then, of course, if he refuses, then she needs to proceed, you know, bringing in other witnesses. If he doesn't repent, then uh, go to the pastors. 
Hebrews 13, 17, 18 says, Obey your leaders, for they keep watch over your souls. My husband must think I'm ugly, or he would not be looking at pornography. And uh, depending on what she's told you, uh, you might say, well, this is how to think about this. Actually, he tells me that he's attracted to me. I will not judge his motive. I will take him at his word. Uh, Now, forgiveness and trust are two different things. He's going to have to re-earn her trust by making no provision for the flesh. He's going to have to, but in her heart, she has got to forgive him, whether he ever repents or not, whether they even stay married or not. And if you have not uh, uh, read or taken somebody through Lou Priolo's booklet on bitterness... It's entitled Bitterness, and his last name is Priolo, P-R-I-O-L-O. It is excellent. I use Jay Adams' little booklet, Christ and Your Problems, and Lou's Bitterness booklet probably more than any two things that I use. And I have seen women deeply bitter, deeply hating their husbands, and then do that Bible study, get along with God, do that Bible study and come back a week later and their heart is completely changed. And then as far as further resources, we have this new book, newer book, Finally Free by Heath Lambert. It is so good. Uh, it's excellent. And it is written for men, but women who have the same struggle can be helped with it. Um, The last chapter in the book is entitled Help for Families and Friends of Men Struggling with Pornography. And let me just, he sympathizes with the wife. Uh, He deals with the wife's emotions. But then he says, be a wife, not a cop. In other words, let someone else lead the accountability effort. Often wives respond with anger and withdrawing and hurt feelings to their husband's confession. But I think one particularly helpful sentence in the finally free, uh, Heath Lambert says to the wife, you are not to blame for your husband's sin, but neither is he responsible for yours. So she's got to Matthew 7 She's got to work at getting the beam out of her own eye also. And Lambert ends that chapter with moving forward with mercy and grace. And then there's another uh, newer book, a, a workbook called Heartbroken and Healing. They do have that in the bookstore. I saw it a while ago by Mary Asher and Hannah Palmer. This is a a real-life story slash Bible study for ladies who are seeking comfort from God in the wake of marital betrayal. The book takes you from your thoughts and emotions of finding out this is happening all the way to opening your heart to God and to your husband, going from devastated and crushed to loving God and learning to love your husband more. Now, Hannah is, Mary Asher, Mary Asher is an ACBC certified counselor, 
in Texas. And her, this is her daughter, Hannah Palmer. And as I said, it's a real life story. For Hannah, it ended well. And of course, you cannot guarantee that. But this book, um, you need to be aware of this resource. And if you're working with somebody, it may be appropriate to take her through it. Okay, let's take three or four minutes and see if anybody has any questions. Okay. Um, what helps, what I have learned that helps as well is to come alongside your husband and ask if he's been struggling with anything lately so you can pray for him. And he sees that you're not judging him, but that you're wanting to come alongside of him as his helpmate after he's already repented and like confessed. Right. But, you know? Okay. The comment was, I have to repeat it for the okay. tape. The comment was that she has seen that it's helpful to tell a wife to come along beside your husband and say, are you struggling? How can I pray for you? It's okay to say I'm praying for you. I don't, and Heath Lambert also, he and I agree, she's not really the best person to hold him accountable. It's just too personal for her. Uh, one of the men, one of the godly men in the church, I think that would, would be better. But it would depend on the husband and wife's relationship too. All right, any questions? Okay, well, let me pray. Father, thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for this, uh, your word, which is alive and powerful, and your spirit who illumines truth to us and gives us hope. And I pray that the ladies will take this material and use it to help other wives, other women who are in uh, a struggle with their husbands and pornography. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Copyright 2016 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.